0: All right, how's everybody doing today? Hotep, hey, this is Michael. I'm Hotep, founder of the African History Network. Um, it is Sunday, November 6, 2022, and we are live. Hope everybody's doing well today. Uh, we're doing a special broadcast of the African History Network show. It is Sunday, November 6, 2022, and uh, I'll be doing my radio show uh, tonight as well. But I wanted to discuss this topic um, as I talked about on. Uh, my show last Sunday um, I was, I would be speaking at the, at a the at a virtual environmental conference uh, this past week, the Midwest building decarbonization coalition, virtual 2020 equity summit. And I spoke there uh, this past uh, Wednesday and Friday, um, Wednesday, November 2nd and Friday, November 4th. And some of the things we talked about was, uh, Reparations for African-Americans and strategies for reparations. And we also talked about um, the land back movement for Native Americans, the land back movement for Native Americans, and how uh, similarities in uh, some of the history of Native Americans and African-Americans and um, synergies in working together uh, for Native Americans to get their land back and African-Americans to get um, uh, reparations. And I did um I, I was one of the panelists and i talked about um some of the things i talked about was uh bacon's rebellion of uh 1775 and 1676 as well as king philip's war of uh 1676 in the uh colony of new england and uh, i also talked some about the virginia slave codes of um 1705 So we were very short for time. Uh, There were a number of people on the panel. So I said I would do a a special broadcast because I spent a lot of time putting together the uh, slides for my portion of the presentation. So I'll do a special broadcast uh, and uh, share this information with you. Also, I'll give you some information about is taking place this week well, uh, Monday, uh, November 2nd, and Thursday, uh, November 10th. Uh, ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the of offer understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school, and uh, from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement of Black Power, 1865 to 1968. Okay. All right, so I want to, uh, Bacon's Rebellion is something that's not talked about a lot. And today we'll, we'll deal with uh, the idea of the origin of race. We'll talk about the Virginia Slave Codes of 1705. Uh, we'll deal with the fact that uh, the African Moors were exempt from the Virginia Slave Codes, okay? And, and uh, but not Negroes. And uh, also talk. we'll talk about the uh, petition of the free sundry Moors of uh, South Carolina in 1790 because all this history uh, is connected and Bacon's Rebellion um, in the aftermath of Bacon's Rebellion puts us on the trajectory of where we are today and uh, dealing with racism, okay? All right, so uh, I wanna go to uh, my uh, PowerPoint presentation here. Let me go to this here just a second. All right. So how many people familiar with with Bacon's Rebellion, your name, Bacon, who was a Virginia uh, plantation owner? Okay. Um, so at the same time, King Philip's King Philip's War is taking place in the colony of New England. And we'll talk about King Philip's War also. At the same time, this is taking place in the colony of New England. You have uh, what's known as Bacon's Rebellion. Uh, taking place in the colony of Virginia, okay? Now, Bacon's Rebellion, um, it takes place in 1676, and this was the uh, last major uh, uprising of enslaved Africans and white indentured servants in colonial Virginia, in, in colonial Virginia. Um, one consequence of the failed rebellion was the intensification of African slavery and the social separation of Africans and whites in Virginia, of Africans and whites in Virginia. Uh, so BlackPast.org has a uh, good article uh, dealing with uh, Bacon's Rebellion. There were a number of different sources uh, that I looked at for, for this information. Also, there's a good article at history.com as well. Okay, so Bacon's Rebellion was triggered when a grab for Native American lands uh, was denied. Now, the origins of Bacon's Rebellion rested with the conquest of the Powhatan uh, Native American uh, Indian Confederation, uh, 1644 to 1646, and the confederations lands being distributed to the English planter uh, class, to the English planter class. Despite their defeat, Indians or Native Americans formerly associated with the Confederation continued squatting on these lands, which caused the Virginia colonists to engage in warfare against them. Okay, now the military and political situation was made more complicated by the presence of African slaves who, along with white indentured servants, produced the colony's main uh, crop which was tobacco. So this is before cotton became king, okay? Cotton uh, largely becomes king after 1794, after um, Eli Whitney invents the cotton gin, okay? And this, uh, the cotton gin greatly, uh, the production, the cotton gin greatly reduces the cost of producing cotton. It was a device that uh, efficiently removed the seeds out of cotton. Okay, then in 1803 you have the Louisiana Purchase, um, and the U.S. gets 828,000 square miles of land for less than three cents an acre uh, f- from uh, France, and this is going to double the territory of the uh, U.S. at the time. Okay, it's going to double the territory, and this gives more fertile land for. Uh, crops to be grown and is going to increase the need for enslaved African labor also, okay? This is a result of the uh, Louisiana purchase of 1803. All right, now, so at this time, 1676, tobacco is the main uh, cash crop that is uh, being grown. All right, now, um, planters looked down upon the African slaves, indentured servants, and landless freemen both white and african or black whom they called the giddy multitude the giddy multitude g i d d y during the decades of the 1650s and 1660s a small a, a sizable number of indentured servants both african and white both white and and black who had completed their required um, indentured labor service clamored for old Powhatan Native American land, as well uh, as well, which was under the control of Governor Berkeley, Governor uh, William Berkeley uh, at the time, who was the governor of the um, Virginia colony. Okay. And uh, Governor William Berkeley and his planter class associates. Okay, so Nathaniel Bacon, Nathaniel Bacon, who led this rebellion, was a wealthy um, Virginia planter, and he declared himself the leader of the colony's former indentured servants, freemen, black and white, newly arrived uh, landless immigrants from England, Scotland, or Ireland, okay, and enslaved Africans. So you have this rebellion that consists of about five hundred men. And these uh, oppressed people, enslaved African people, uh, white indentured servants, uh, free men, both, uh, Afri- both African and European uh, people who were free, newly arrived immigrants who didn't own land coming from England, Scotland, and Ireland. They all banded together because they were all uh, uh, being uh, uh, exploited. The labor was being exploited They all whom all of whom bonded together because of their common exploitation on the large tobacco estates, the large tobacco plantations. All of them were being exploited by the same people. So they banded together regardless of race, regardless of status, because they realized that they had a common oppressor. Okay. now on uh, September 19th, 1676, on September 19th. 1676, Nathaniel Bacon and his uh, followers, this rebellion, they returned to Jamestown, Virginia and battled forces loyal to Governor William Berkeley. He forced uh, Governor Berkeley and his followers to retreat. And then Nathaniel Bacon and his rebels burned down the town of Jamestown, Virginia. They burned down the town of Jamestown, Virginia. So there's a uh, good article from um, history.com, the official website of the History Channel. Uh, this article right here, which deals with why America's first colonial rebels burned Jamestown to the ground. Why America's first colonial rebels burned Jamestown to the ground. Bacon's rebellion, was triggered when a grab for Native American lands was denied. Okay. And it deals with this history that is a a very pivotal time in history. And as a result of Bacon's rebellion, we're going to see the term white be introduced into the British colonies. Um uh, and it's going to have a devastating uh effect it's going to have a devastating impact okay so uh check out this article here that will bacon's rebellion also uh poor farmers have been hit hard by falling tobacco prices and many of the borders of the colonies' frontier uh wanted to expand westward there they face threats from native Americans intent on protecting their ancestral lands. When the colonists called on their governor for military support, he refused. Okay. Uh, let me see. Let me go down to this part here. Okay. Nathaniel bacon was declared a rebel by the, by the governor who was his cousin by marriage. Um, Let's see. Okay, in September, man to a head, Governor Berkeley had been traveling throughout Virginia to recruit supporters of his own and returned to Jamestown to issue a final proclamation condemning Nathaniel Bacon. In response, Nathaniel Bacon and his men rushed into Jamestown, Virginia, burning and pillaging as they went. On the night of September 19th, 1676 they torched the entire town of jamestown virginia uh, virginia burning it to the ground as the embattled governor berkeley fled nathaniel bacon's supporters terrorized what remained of the town of jamestown virginia and the governor's uh supporters okay so the rebellion is going to be uh uh the rebellion is going to be put down uh the british crown intervenes News had taken months to travel to England, and King Charles II took until October of 1676 to respond. But then, Bacon's rebellion was falling to pieces. The day before Charles II's proclamation about the rebellion, Nathaniel Bacon died of uh, dysentery. Without their leader, the rebels floundered. floundered. Uh, Governor William Berkeley, assisted by an English naval squad, soon defeated, the remainder of the rebels and, uh, governor Berkeley returned to Jamestown. Okay. Okay. So read the rest of this, read the rest of this article here, history.com official website of the history channel. Why America's first colonial rebels burned Jamestown, uh, to the ground. Okay. Um, I don't know if this rebellion was the, inspiration for the song, the roof, the roof, the roof is on fire. We don't need no water, you know, but I would like to think that it was. Uh, <laughs> if you're enough to remember that song. Okay. So let's continue here. Now, what happens is as a result of Bacon's rebellion, there's a good piece from history.com called uh, the history of the idea of race, the history of the, of the idea of race. Now, toward the end of the 17th century, toward the end of the 1600s, uh, labor from England began, began to diminish and the colonies were faced with two major dilemmas. One was how to maintain control over the restless poor and, uh, and the freedmen, okay, uh, who seemed intent on the violent overthrow of the colony's leaders. The second dilemma that they were dealing with was how to obtain a controllable labor force as cheaply as possible. How to obtain a controllable labor force as cheaply as possible. So what was taking place in uh, uh, right about 1680, the economic conditions in England improve, and they're less uh, English willing to come to the colonies to be indentured servants. So you have a declining uh, amount of indentured servants, and they're going to start. and And, and also at the same time, you 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 have uh, they are enslaving Native Americans at this time also but you, you, know, you have a dwindling population of Native Americans and they start to shift more uh, to become more dependent on enslaving Africans and bringing more Africans into uh, the colonies. Okay, so the second dilemma was how to uh, obtain a controllable labor force as cheaply as possible. The colonial leaders found a solution to both problems. The colonial leaders found a solution Uh, to both problems. By the 1690s, so this is after Bacon's Rebellion ends in 1676, by the 1690s, they had divided the restless poor into categories reflecting their origins, homogenizing all Europeans into a white category, into a white category, and insult and, and instituting a system of permanent slavery for Africans, the most vulnerable members of the population. So they're instituting chattel slavery for African people and for the Scottish and the Irish, for, for the English, for these Europe for these Europeans, they introduced the term white right about sixteen eighty one in the colony of Virginia. This is gonna spread through the other colonies and they're trying to group all of the Europeans together. And they, and what they wanna do is break up the alliance between enslaved African people and still some um, um, African indentured servants. They wanna break up that alliance between the Africans and the uh, poor whites, the white indentured servants and poor whites, they wanna break up that alliance. So they institute the term white to group all these Europeans together on the white team and separate them from Africans. And then what they're going to do is introduce the term Negro and really start using the term Negro, even though it was in the um, colonies. It wasn't widespread usage prior to largely prior to Bacon's rebellion. They're going to utilize the term uh, Negro or Negro and use that to, uh, largely denote slaves as well. Okay. So if we look at, I want to look at, um, before the Mayflower by Laron Bennett Jr. Page 40, uh, sixth edition. Okay. How's everybody doing? Share this broadcasting and social media platforms, invite your friends to tune in. Also, I want to look at, um, Page 46 edition, chapter two of Before the Mayflower by Lerone Bennett, Jr. That's going to give uh, some more background information uh, on this history. Okay. And let me zoom in here on this part that I want. Okay. This is page 40. Now, if we scroll down to page 40 what leron bennett jr is explaining here this is before the Mayflower. what he's explaining is how in in the 1600s prior to bacon's rebellion prior to 1680 1681 the term white was not used for the english or for europeans okay and the term negro was not used for african people um so he goes let's look at this here he says um working together in this hopefully you all can see this okay let's blow this up okay working together in the same fields sharing the same huts the same situation and the same grievances the first black and white americans aristocrats accepted uh aristocrats accepted uh, developed strong bonds of sympathy and mutuality, sympathy and mutuality. They ran away together, played together, and revolted together. They ran away together, played together, and revolted together. Let me see how this looks, okay? So, you all, so can you all see that? They ran away together, played together, and revolted together. They made it. Let's see. There we go. They made it and married, siring a sizable mixed population. So you had it. So the, the mistake that people make is they think that when those 20 and odd Africans on the white lion pirate ship, August 20 August 2016 19 our exchange for food and water supplies they think a system of slavery and racism already existed in the british colonies and it did not codified slave laws didn't exist in the british colonies at the at the 13 british colonies codified slave laws didn't exist at that time okay um this is what's taking place the term negro was not largely being used at at this point in time. In the process, the black and white servants, the majority of the colonial population created a racial wonderland, okay? In the process, the black and white servants, the majority of the colonial population created a racial wonderland that seems somehow un-American in its lack of obsession about race and color there was to be sure prejudice then but it was largely english class prejudice which was distributed without regard to race creed or color there were uh, there were also needless to say prejudiced individuals in the colony but at this but but and this is the fundamental difference between prejudice and racism their personal quirks and obsessions were not focused and directed by the organized will of a community so you may have individuals that have their obsessions their quirks their biases but it's not codified in the law and it doesn't it doesn't impact how the entire community acts towards these african people now the basic division at that juncture was between servants and free people. This is in the 1600s in the the British colonies that would become the United States. The basic division at that juncture was between servants and free people and there there were whites and blacks on both sides. There were free white people, there were free African people. You you had cases of African people who uh, owned uh, white and black indentured servants. Okay, so you have all this taking place. So the the first colony to have codified slave laws is going to be Massachusetts in 1641. They come to Connecticut in 1650, come to Virginia about 1660, 1661. The codified slave laws are hitting the different colonies at different times. Okay, all this stuff didn't just um, happen all at one time. All right. All this stuff didn't just happen at one time. This evolves over time. This is why it's important to understand this chronology of history. Somebody talked about somebody posted Bacon's Rebellion. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. Bacon's Rebellion. Nathaniel Bacon, 1676, the colony of Virginia. And in a minute, we're going to talk about King Philip's War of 1675, 1676 in the colony of New England. Okay. now. Let's continue it appears from surviving okay so of let me back up the basic division at that juncture was between servants and free people and there were whites and blacks on both sides of the line of all the improbable aspects of this situation the oddest to modern blacks and whites the oddest to modern african americans and whites is that white people did not seem to know that they were white in the, in the 17th century, especially in the early 17th century, prior to Bacon's Rebellion, the 1600s. It appears from surviving evidence that the first white colonists had no concept of themselves as quote unquote white people. The legal documents identified whites, who who we will call, call white people the legal documents identified them as Englishmen and or Christians. The word white with its burden of arrogance and biological pride developed late in the century, late in the 17th century, which is late in the 1600s after Bacon's rebellion is going to be introduced in the Virginia colony right about 1681. Okay developed late in the century as a direct result of slavery and the organized debasement of blacks, the organized debasement of blacks. The same point can be made from the other side of the line. For a long time in colonial America, there was no legal name to focus white anxiety. The first blacks were called Blackamores Moors, Nagers, N-E-G-E-R-S, and Nagars, N-E-G-A-R-S. The word negro, or negro, which is a Spanish and Portuguese term for black, or it can mean a black thing, did not come into general use in Virginia until the latter part of the century, the latter part of the 17th century, which are the 1600s, that's going to be after Bacon's rebellion. See, it's important to understand this chronology of history and actually what happened and and the names we had throughout history before we were called Negroes. Okay, so he's talking about the he's talking about an African presence here in the colonies. And, 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 And you had African Moors who were here before European settlers come here. Okay, now, if we go to, um, we'll go to the next page, that's page 40, we look at page 41, quickly here, a similar course of development was roughly characteristic of New York, the colony of New York, where the black settlement presided, the English and the name New York preceded, the black where the black settlement preceded the English and the name New York. There are records from 1626 identifying 11 blacks. Now, this is when it was a Dutch colony called New Amsterdam. Okay, this is when it was a Dutch colony called New Amsterdam. The colony of New Amsterdam is going to become a British colony called New York. There are records from 1626 identifying 11 blacks or africans about 5% of the non-indian population who were servants of the Dutch West Indian Company which is one of the slave trading companies that uh these Europeans had organized and were financed by by the wealthy things like this to go out and explore and conquer lands and uh capture uh africans and they were you know like the English were enslaving Native Americans also. We'll talk about that here in just a minute. But this they're talking about the Dutch West Indian Company. The 11 African pioneers were males responding to the pleas of these males. The Dutch imported three women identified as Angolans in 1628. In 1644, some 18 years after their arrival, the Dutch Negroes, the Dutch Negroes as they were called, filed a petition for freedom, the first uh, black legal protest in America. The petition was granted by the Council of New Netherlands, which freed the Africans because they had, quote, served the company 17 or 18 years, end quote, um, and had been long since promised their freedom on the same footing as other free people in New Netherlands. Okay, the 11 Africans, 11 blacks, uh uh listed in the peti- in the petition were Paul de Angola, Big Manuel, Little Manuel, Manuel de Garrett, uh Derens, Simon Congo, Anthony Portuguese, uh Gracia, Peter Santome, John Francisco, Little Anthony, uh and John Fort Orange, all received parcels of land in what is now Greenwich Village. All received parcels of land in what is now Greenwich, uh, Green, uh, Greenwich Village. What is essential to grasp about the first Africans in New York is that they, let me back, let me scroll over here, is that they stood on the same footing as white indigenous servants from the very beginning. Quote, they had almost full freedom of motion and assembly, said James Weldon Johnson, uh, who wrote this in Black Manhattan. James Weldon Johnson is the same man that wrote the lyrics to Lift Every Voice and Sing the Black National Anthem. Quote, they were were allowed to marry, wives and daughters had legal protection against the lechery of, of masters, and they had the right to acquire and hold property, end quote. So this is in the 1600s. What has been outlined above with reference to New York and Virginia holds good also, though with minor variations for other colonies, including the colony of Pennsylvania, where the system of, um, of Black indentured servitude was so, root, was so rooted that Black servants outnumbered Black slaves at the time of the revolution. So you're gonna have Black indentured servants during this time, as well as Africans. You have African indentured servants as well as African slaves. But they're going to f- start phasing out as you go further into the 1600s and then go on to the 1700s. They're going to start phasing out the indentured servitude system and rely more and more on enslaving African people and enslaving them for perpetuity. And we're going to see the Virginia Slave Codes of 1705 play a huge part in this. Okay, um, so this is page 41 of Before the Mayflower by Lerone Bennett Jr. Okay, now, I wanna go to, let's, I'm gonna go back to um, a PowerPoint presentation here because uh, when I spoke at Midwest building uh virtual 2022 equity summit on um, Wednesday, uh, March 2nd and Friday, March 4th. I mean, uh November, Wednesday, November 2nd, and then Wednesday, uh, and Friday, November 4th. I didn't have a lot of time to, I, I spent a lot of time putting together these slides. So putting together this information, doing the research, I did not have a lot of time to get through the information. But the people were blown away by uh, what I shared with them okay now uh let me go back to this here where where am i okay bacon's rebellion right here okay before the mayflower okay so um back to bacon's rebellion now in the aftermath uh how how bacon how bacon's rebellion planted the seeds of race-based slavery, how Bacon's Rebellion planted the seeds of race-based slavery. In the aftermath of Bacon's Rebellion, white planters reacted with alarm to the anger they had seen uh, uh, among the Black Virginians uh, who had joined uh, Bacon's Rebellion. Quote, the planters had not been able to Uh, control this rowdy labor force of servants and slaves, said historian Ira Berlin. Uh, He told this to uh, PBS.org, public broadcasting system, PBS.org. But soon after Bacon's rebellion, they increasingly, but soon after Bacon's rebellion, they increasingly distinguished between people of African descent and people of European descent they enact laws which say that people of African descent are hereditary slaves. So this is chattel slavery. This is this is a consequence of Bacon's rebellion, okay? Now, there is a, um, uh, there's an article from uh, pbs.org, and I have a few articles here, so just bear with me. There's one dealing with the Virginia slave codes, a 1705. Okay. And if we look at this here, because I have a lot of information on that. And when we look at the Virginia slave codes, we're going to see who is exempt from them. Let me pull this up from uh, PBS.org. Okay. Let's look at this. All right. How's everybody doing? How y'all like this type of information? Give us a thumbs up. Give us a heart. Give us a like on this broadcast. Share this on your social media platforms. Be sure to visit our website, the African History Network.com, the African History Network.com. You can register also for the online history classes that, uh, that I teach, uh, uh, this week. The classes are going to be on, uh, Monday and, uh, Thursday because I'm, I'm in, um, Washington, D.C. on Tuesday. Um, I'll be one of the political commentators on Roland Martin, uh, Roland Martin's six hour election day broadcast. Okay. So visit our website, the African history You scroll down, it has information about, uh, my radio show on Sundays, 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern standard time. And, um, on Thursday, November 10th, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. We're teaching another installment of ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. Uh, The class is gonna be at least 10 weeks instead of eight weeks, okay? Uh, I've added some more sessions to it. And uh, and then from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968, Monday, November 7th, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m., that class is gonna be uh, 10 or 11 sessions. So you can register for it here. The class is on sale, $80, regularly $130. We have a bundle pack. Also, you can register for both classes for $130. We do the sessions live. All the sessions are archived and recorded. You can go back and watch them anytime. Even a year from now, two years from now, you still have full access to the class. You can go back and watch it, okay? All right, so uh, I wanna go to this piece here dealing with the Virginia Slave Codes of 1705. And what happens in Virginia, the colony of Virginia is gonna be replicated in the other colonies. Once again, all these laws don't just come into existence all at the same time, okay? This stuff has to be formulated. Okay, so this is from pbs.org, public broadcasting system, uh, in their series, Africans in America, Africans in America, Uh, Virginia Slave Codes, 1705. So the status of blacks in Virginia slowly changed over the last half of the 17th century, last half of the 1600s after Bacon's Rebellion in 1676 in the colony of Virginia. The black indentured servant with his hope of freedom, the black indentured servant with his hope of freedom was increasingly being replaced by African slaves, was increasingly being replaced by African slaves. In 1705, the Virginia General General Assembly Removed any lingering um, Removed any lingering uncertainty About this terrible transformation It made a declaration That would seal the fate Of African Americans for generations to come Okay, this is a crucial piece of history These are the Virginia Slave Codes of 1705 Here's an excerpt of what they said All servants imported and brought into the country who were not Christians in their native country shall be accounted and be slaves, shall be accounted and be slaves. All Negro, mulatto and Indian uh, slaves, because they did have Native American slaves also. We're going to talk about that as well. That's a that's a piece of history that is not really talked about a lot. All Negro, mulatto, and Indian slaves within this dominion shall be held to be real estate. If any slave resists his master, correcting such slave, and shall happen to be killed in such correction, the master shall be free of all punishment. The master shall be free of all punishment as if such accident never happened. Okay, now that comes from the Casual Killing Act of 1669 in the Colony of Virginia. And then that gets incorporated into uh, the Virginia Slave Code of 1705. Okay, we'll talk about that in just a minute. The Casual Killing Act of October 20th, 1669, which, which stated that if in, in correcting, disciplining uh, a slave, if the master or the mistress accidentally killed the slave, okay, the African slave, they would not face legal consequences, okay? It was, oops, did I do that? My bad, no legal consequences. All right, now, the Virginia Slave Code of 1705, which would also served as a model for other colonies because once again, they're formulating this whole system, okay. And just because one colony has a law doesn't mean it exists in the other colonies. You have thirteen different colonies; they have different laws, so they have to. Uh, each colony has to adopt these laws. The law imposed harsh physical punishments since enslaved persons um, since enslaved persons who did not own property could not be required to pay fines. It stated that slaves needed written permission to leave their plantation, that slaves found guilty of murder or rape would be hanged, that for robbing or any other major offense, the slave would receive 60 lashes, 60 lashes with the whip and be placed in stocks where his or her ears would be cut off. Now, these this is the Virginia Slave Codes of 1705, and and that for minor offenses such as associating with whites, slaves would be whipped, branded, or maimed. Whipped, branded, or maimed for minor offenses of associating with whites. Now, for the 17th century African slave. In Virginia, disputes with a master could be brought before a court for judgment. That's in the 1600s, 17th century. But with the Virginia Slave Code, what we're going to see is an eradicate that uh, we're going to see the rights of African people being eradicated. They're slowly eroding their rights and creating the system of chattel slavery. With the Slave Codes of 1705, this is no longer the case. So in the 1600s, slaves in Virginia that had disputes with their master, they could take their master to court. The Virginia Slave Codes of 1705 changes that law. A slave owner who sought to break the most rebellious of slaves could now do so Knowing any punishment he inflicted, including death, would not result in even the slightest reprimand because of the Casual Killing Act of 1669 in the colony of Virginia that is incorporated into the Virginia Slave Codes of 1705. Okay, now this is a brief synopsis of the Virginia Slave Codes. Now, this is from PBS.org, Public Broadcasting System. Okay. it's some good information, but it's, it's something crucial that's missing from here. Okay. So let's look at this piece right here from, I want to look at, um uh, uh, let's look at Encyclopedia of Virginia, encyclopediavirginia.org, okay, an act concerning servants and slaves. This is... Looking at the um, casual, this is looking at the uh, Virginia slave Codes of 1705. Okay, just a second. Let me, uh, because I'm flipping back and forth between uh, Firefox and uh, Google Chrome. Okay, where is that? We have it. I have it up here in Firefox. Okay, we're coming to this next. A second here, where is that? Okay, let me just pull this up. This is an act concerning service. I want to look at specifically section four an act concerning servants and slaves. And they show they they have primary documents here also. Okay, stand by. Okay, this is what I want right here. Oh no, that's not it. Hold on. Okay, let me go to the screen right here. Okay, an Act concerning servants and slaves, seventeen o five. Encyclopedia of Virginia, this is encyclopediavirginia.org Okay. So they have the primary documents here from the, um, uh, from uh, 1705 and some other documents also. Okay. But this is what I want to focus on right here. Context. In an act concerning servants and slaves, passed by the Virginia General Assembly in October 1705 Virginia's colonial government collects old and establishes new laws with regards to indentured servants and slaves with regards to indentured servants and slaves uh what happened here okay just a second here all right In an act concerning servants and slaves passed by the General Assembly of Virginia, Virginia, Virginia General Assembly, uh, in the session of October 1705, Virginia's colonial government collects old and establishes new laws with regards to indentured servants and slaves. So they have the full text of it here. I want to focus in on um, section four. <clears throat> section four, Roman numeral four. It says, and also be enacted by the authority aforesaid, and it is hereby enacted that all servants imported and brought into this country by sea or land who were not Christians in their native country, who were not Christians in their native country, except Turks and Moors, M-O-O-R-S, except Turks and Moors in Amity with Her Majesty and others that can make due proof of their being free in England, or any other Christian country before they were shipped in order to transportation hither, be accounted and shall be slaves, shall be accounted and shall be slaves, and such be here uh, bought and sold, notwithstanding a conversion to Christianity afterward. Okay? So, what they're doing with the Virginia Slave Code of 1705, they're making a distinction between Negroes and Moors because African Moors are exempt from the Virginia Slave Codes. See, this is why, so in the piece that I showed you from PBS.org, they don't show you like the full Virginia Slave Codes. But when you go look at the full Virginia Slave Codes, it shows in section four, it shows that in virginia and they're going to start doing this in other colonies this is this is after bacon's rebellion of 1676 they start using the term negro for slaves and the term more as i showed you on page 40 in before the mayflower by Lerone bennett jr sixth edition chapter two that was already being used but now they're making a distinction between negroes and moors and the distinction in how they're treated They go on to section five. And be and be it enacted by the authority aforesaid, and it is hereby enacted that if any person or person shall hereafter import into this colony and and here sell as a slave any person or persons that shall be a free man in any Christian, any Christian country, island, or plantation. Such importer or seller as aforesaid shall forfeit and pay to the party from whom the said freeman shall recover his freedom double the sum for which the said freeman was sold to be recovered in any court uh, of record within this colony, according to the course of the common law, wherein the defendant shall not be admitted to plead in bar any act or statute for limitation of actions okay uh provided always section six that a slaves being being in england shall not sufficient to discharge him of his slavery without other proof of his being manumitted there okay so they're saying you gotta um you have to have proof that you were freed in england Otherwise, you can still be a slave here in the uh, Virginia colony. All right. OK, so read the rest of this here. This deals with the uh, Virginia Slave Codes. The 1705 It's called An Act Concerning Servants and Slaves, 1705. This is that Encyclopedia of Virginia. But they make a distinction in the Virginia Slave Codes between Negroes and Moors all right now I want to look at okay we did that PBS we did this one okay now I wanna look at this right here we can look at uh, just a second here we've got okay let's look at this talking points memo There's an article from Talking Points Memo that deals with this as well. If this 1780s Southern politician fought Islamophobia, we can too. Because they talk about the more Sundry Act to 1790 here which I, which I've talked about before and they talk about the Treaty of, of, of peace and friendship. So let's look at this here. How's everybody doing? Give us a thumbs up, give us a heart give us a like. Also if you like this type of information you can support the African History Network dollar sign the AHn show through cash app dollar sign the AHN show through cash app and through paypal paypal.me forward slash the AHN show so let's just keep doing the research stay on the air keep broadcasting pay some of the bills uh when I go to Washington DC uh on Tuesday I have to pay my way there so that helps you know cover expenses because I'm flying there and flying back uh, and then also be sure to register for our online history classes also that uh, we have going on this week uh, we'll post a link here for the courses, Ancient Kemet, the Moors and the Mahafa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade what they didn't teach in the school and from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. Okay, let's go back to this here. Uh, I wanna go to this article here from Talking Points Memo. If this 1787 Southern, Southern politician fought Islamophobia, we can too. Okay, this is from February 13th, 2015. Um, here's what I wanna focus in on. Uh, okay, to talk about Islamophobia. Let's start at the beginning. They say, let's start at the beginning. By the time of the American Revolution, which is 1775 to 1783, a sizable Moroccan community known as Moors in the language of the era, ERA, had developed in, in and around Charleston, South Carolina, had developed in, and around Charleston, South Carolina. Some of the community's members were likely former slaves, but many others had chosen to immigrate from Morocco, North Africa, with which the U.S. had a so-called Treaty of Friendship okay the Treaty of Peace and Friendship Morocco indeed was the first African nation to recognize the United States during the American Revolution. Worried about being denied rights due to South Carolina's system of slavery a group of Muslim Americans petitioned the state's courts requesting that they be recognized as white requesting that they be recognized as white. A tribunal of judges led by prominent South Carolinian Charles Pickney agreed with their petition and the state legislature passed the Moore's Sundry Act of 1790, designating this Moroccan Muslim American community white for purposes of the law. Okay, so this is the petition of the free sundry moors of South Carolina, 1790, who did not want to they wanted to make sure if for some reason they had to go to court, if they had to deal with legal issues, they wanted to make sure that they were not held to the uh, standards of the Negro Act of 1740 in South Carolina. The Negro Act of 1740 in South Carolina, the colony of South Carolina, was put in place because as a result of what's known as the Stono Rebellion of 1739 in South Carolina. Okay, Um, so so once again, we see uh, a, a distinction that's being made as this whole system is being formulated we see a distinction being made between uh, Negroes who are enslaved and Moors. It's uh, let's see here, let's see, uh, the impact of the Stono Rebellion, let me see, and there's an article from uh, .com on the Stono Rebellion. And also face uh, to face africa dot com. Let me see here. Hold on, just. Second, let me pull this up. Okay, If we look at pbs.org, if we look at this on pbs.org, in just a second, let me refresh the screen here. This is acting up. Stand by. we're back alright so look at let's look at this from pbs.org on the um, Stono Rebellion of September 9th, 1739 this is a slave rebellion in South Carolina look at this briefly here This is from uh, Atkins in America, pbs.org. Okay, Uh, uh, South Carolina, September 9th, 1739, a band of African slaves marched down the road carrying banners that proclaimed liberty. They shout out the same word, liberty, led by the Angolan named Jimmy, J-E-M-E, J-E-M-M-Y. The men and women continued to walk south recruiting African slaves, Along the way, by the time they stop to rest for the night, their numbers will have approached 100. What exactly triggered the Stono Rebellion is not clear. Many uh, Africans and slaves knew that small groups of runaways had made their way from South Carolina uh, to Florida, where they had been given freedom and land. Looking to cause unrest within the English colonies, because this is before the American Revolutionary War, it doesn't start until 1775. So this is 1739. Looking to cause unrest within the English colonies, the Spanish had issued a proclamation stating that a slave who deserted uh, to St. Augustine in Florida would be given the same treatment, would be given the same treatment. OK, certainly this influenced uh, potential uh, rebels, certainly this influenced uh, potential rebels and made them willing to accept the situation. A fall epidemic had disrupted the uh, colonial government in uh, nearby Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, and word had just arrived that England and Spain were at war. Raising hopes raising hopes that the Spanish and St. Augustine would give a positive reception to African slaves escaping from uh, Carolina plantations. But what may have actually triggered the Stono Rebellion on September 9th, uh, 1739, was the soon to be enacted Security Act the soon to be enacted Security Act. In mid-August of 1739, Charleston newspaper, um, a Charleston newspaper announced the Security Act. Uh, This was a response to whites' uh, fears of insurrection. The act required that all white men carry firearms to church on Sundays a time when whites usually did not carry weapons and Africans who were enslaved were allowed to work for themselves. Okay, and Africans who were enslaved were allowed to work for themselves. Anyone who did not comply with the new law by September 29, 1739 would be subjected to a fine. Whatever triggered the Stone of Rebellion early on in the morning of uh, September 9th, 1739, which was on a Sunday, uh, about 20 Africans who were enslaved gathered near the Stono River in St. Paul's Parish, less than 20 miles from Charleston, South Carolina. The Africans went to a shop that sold firearms and ammunition. They armed themselves. They uh, Then they killed two shopkeepers who were manning the shop. From there, the band walked uh, to the house of a Mr. Godfrey where they burned the house and killed Mr. Godfrey and his son and daughter. They headed south. It was not yet dawn when they reached Wallace's tavern because the innkeeper at the tavern was kind to his slaves. His life was spared. The white inhabitants of the next six or so houses Uh, that this rebellion reaches were not so lucky and they were killed. The Africans uh, belonging to the African slaves belonging to Thomas Rose successfully hid their master, but they were forced to join the rebellion. They would be rewarded later, okay? Uh, Other African slaves willingly joined the rebellion. By 11 in the uh, 11 o'clock in the morning, the group was about 50 strong. The few whites whom they now encountered were chased and killed, though one individual, Lieutenant Governor Bull, B-U-L-L, eluded the rebels and rode to spread the alarm. The African slaves stopped in a large field late that afternoon just before reaching the Idosto uh, uh, River. They had marched over miles and killed between 20 and 25 whites. Around four in the afternoon, 4 p.m., somewhere between 20 and 100 uh, whites had set out in armed pursuit. When they approached the rebels, the slaves fired two shots The whites returned fire, bringing down 14 of the African slaves. By dusk, about 30 of these Africans were dead and at least 30 had escaped. Most were captured over the next month and uh, and then they were executed. The rest were captured over the following six months, all except one who remained a fugitive for three years. Except one who remained a fugitive for three years. Uncomfortable with the increasing numbers of Africans for some time, the white colonists in the colony of South Carolina had been working on a Negro Act that would limit the privileges of African slaves. This act was quickly finalized and approved after the Stono Rebellion. So the Negro Act goes into effect in 1740, the year after the Stono Rebellion. No longer would African slaves be allowed to grow their own food, which they could prior to the Stono Rebellion. Because as I explained to people, different colonies had different laws. Okay? A lot of, let let me put it like this. a lot of our concept of what slavery was is is homogenized. And we think it was like the same in all the colonies. And this, this, this history evolves and you have an erosion of their rights over time. And we see this erosion increasing in the early 1700s. And also you have an erosion of the rights of free African-Americans as well because free African-Americans could vote in the in the 1600s going into the early 1700s in different colonies and those different colonies start phasing that out they start phasing out uh the ability of free African people to own land okay now Moors were exempt from this okay so the 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 way we like I said before People think August 20th, those those Africans on the white lion pirate ship just step into a system that's already formulated. No, it's not. Codified slave laws didn't even exist in the 13 colonies. Chattel slavery didn't exist in the 13 colonies. No longer would African slaves be allowed to grow their own food, assemble in groups, earn their own money, which they could various ways prior to the Stono Rebellion, or learn to read, okay? Because even though we have the concept that it was illegal for slaves to learn to read and write during slavery in some colonies prior to, you know, in the 1600s, it they could, and even in the even uh, in the state of Virginia after the American Revolutionary War, it was legal. In Virginia, up until 1831, for slaves to learn to read and write, even though most of, of the southern states, so a lot of the northern states had abolished slavery by then. Um, but a lot of the southern states, it was still illegal, uh, you know, like in the 1830s, but 1831, Virginia Makes it illegal for slaves to be able to learn to read and write. What was significant about 1831? That's when you had the Nat Turner Rebellion in Southampton County, Virginia. And Nat Turner was literate. He could read and write, and he could read the Bible. After the Nat Turner Rebellion, after they execute Nat Turner and they round up the rebels, execute them, put them on trial, the ones that were not killed in the executing that Turner, the, the state legislature in Virginia passes a law that makes it illegal to teach slaves to, to read and write. Okay, so no longer would, would um, African slaves be allowed to grow their own food, assemble in groups, earn their own money, or learn to read. Some of these restrictions have been in effect before the Negro Act, but had not been strictly enforced okay so now the negro act of 1740 was the result of the stoner rebellion of 1739 in south carolina so when you have the petition of the free sundry moors in in, in 1790 they want clarification and they want to make sure that they are not held to the standards of the Negro Act of 1740, okay? And the South Carolina State Legislature passes the more sundry Act of 1790 in South Carolina designating this Moroccan Muslim American community white for purposes of law. So they had all the rights that people classified as white had. They could sit on juries. They could carry guns. They could vote. They had all the rights the white people had that law was as complicated as race in american history has always been it allowed uh members of of this community to be counted more fully for state population and federal representation purposes because the first census is taken in 1790 as um the census was created by the u.s constitution so the first census is taken in 1790. It also gave the Muslim Americans the opportunity to vote, serve on juries, and and to gain and enjoy the benefits of citizenship, even as black Americans or African Americans were largely denied those rights because they're they're making a separation between Negroes and Moors. And they're doing this with the laws. Okay, they're making a separation between Negroes and Moors, whereas it, we go back to page 40 of uh Lerone Bennett Jr.'s uh Before the Mayflower chapter uh chapter two, sixth edition. Okay, we go back to that. He lays out how uh early on and when Europeans got here, uh Largely speaking, the Africans weren't referred to as Negroes. The first Blacks were called Blackamores, Moors, Nagers, N E G E R S, and Nagars, N E G A R S. The word ne- negro or negro, which is Spanish and Portuguese for Black, or it could also mean a Black thing. Uh, a Spanish and Portuguese term for black did not come into general use in Virginia until the later part, the latter part of the 17th century, after Bacon's Rebellion of 1676. So this is why you have to look at this history chronologically. This is why a lot of these cookie cutter, um, a, a, a lot of these, a lot of these cookie cutter approaches to understanding slavery. And the history of slavery in this country and the history of laws in this country are not applicable because this it, it, that's not how it happened. That's why you have to understand the understand the chronology of how all of this evolved. Okay, now let's go back to uh, the article from Talking Points Memo. So the uh, more Sundry Act of 1790 in South Carolina designated the Moroccan Muslim American community white for purposes of the law. The law, uh, uh, it allowed uh, members of this community to be counted more fully for state, rep- state population and federal representation purposes. It also gave these Muslim, Muslim Americans the opportunity to vote, serve on juries, and to gain and enjoy the benefits of citizenship, even as black Americans or African Americans or African people were largely denied those same rights. The revolutionary history gets broader and deeper still. The only passage in the body of the constitution as drafted in 1787 that references religion at all is the paragraph in article six that makes clear that quote, no religious tests no religious test shall ever be required as a qualification to any office. End quote. This profoundly progressive um, phrase written in an era when every other constitutional government around the world featured an official state religion was drafted by none other than Charles Pickney. Okay. Okay. Um, Charles Pickney of South Carolina. After the constitution was drafted, Charles Pickney was tasked with taking it before the South Carolina uh, state legislature for the state's ratification debate. During the debate, he was asked by one of the legislators about the exact article six paragraph and more exactly about whether it would mean that a Muslim could run for office in the United States. Uh, Charles Pickney's uh, answer was, yes, it does, and I hope to live to see it happen. Yes, it does, and I hope to live to see it happen. His words are inspiring and a challenge to those who say they believe in inclusion today. How many white Christian elected officials today say, quote, I hope to see uh, more Muslim Americans elected uh More Muslim Americans in elected office the way Charles Pickney did. Okay, read read this full article here. This is from talkingpointsmemo.com. If this 1780s Southern politician fought Islamophobia, we can too. If this 1780s Southern politician fought Islamophobia, we can too. This is from uh, February 13th, 2015, by Ben Relton, Railton, R A I L T O N, for Talking Points Memo. All right. Now, I um, have a couple more things and I have to get out of here. Okay. So we did that. We did an act concerning servants of slaves. Uh, there's a, okay, let me go back to the, uh, PowerPoint presentation. Okay. Give us a thumbs up. Give us a heart. Give us a like on this broadcast. Also be sure to register for, uh, my online, uh, history classes as well. Uh, ancient Kemet, the Moors and the Maafa understanding the transatlantic slave trade what they didn't teach you in school. And uh, from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. Okay, how Bacon's rebellion planted the seeds of race-based slavery. Uh, This is an excerpt from the article that I showed you why America's first colonial rebels burned Jamestown, Virginia to the ground from history.com. Planters feared uh, what their white indentured servants could do. So they slowly eliminated the system of white indentured servitude, relying instead on enslaved African people to work their plantations. Backlash from Bacon's rebellion is credited with helping kick off the racial distinctions that defined the colonies and the United States that followed, that defined the colonies and the united states that follow because it's going to be after bacon's rebellion um that they they institute the um term white in the colony starting with the colony of virginia right around 16 um 81 and then it's going to spread throughout the uh other colonies and they're trying to break up the alliance between uh enslaved african people and any um Um, African indentured servants are trying to break up that alliance between them and white indentured servants and and, and poor poor Europeans okay let me see here just a second let's see where I left off Uh, okay Okay, so you can read the rest of that. And this is also part of it here. Um, In the aftermath of the rebellion, white planters reacted with alarm to the anger they had seen among the black Virginians who had joined Bacon, Bacon's rebellion. Quote, the planters had not been able to control this rowdy labor force of servants and, and slaves. Ira, uh, historian Ira, Ira Berlin told PBS.org Quote, but soon after Bacon's rebellion, they increasingly distinguish between people of African descent and people of European descent. They enact laws which say that people of African descent are hereditary slaves, end quote. They, they institute the uh, Virginia Slave Codes of 1705, which then are adopted by uh, versions, versions of that are adopted by the other colonies. Okay. Um. There was this good article here from the New York Times. And I talked about this uh, when, I, when I spoke uh, at the virtual um, environmental summit uh, this past week. Black Native American and fighting for recognition in Indian country. Black Native American and fighting for recognition in Indian country. And this talks about a man named Ron Graham, whose ancestors are known as Creek Freedmen. His ancestors were uh, owned by the Creek Indians because the Choctaw Creek, Cherokee, and Seminole Indians all owned African slaves. And um, they were among the thousands of African Americans who were once enslaved by tribal members uh, in the South and who emigrated to Oklahoma when their tribes were forced off their homelands and marched west in the 1830s. That's on the Trail of Tears. Okay, and and uh and they all go out uh west into Oklahoma, and about a third of the people on the trail of tears were African slaves because the Choctaw, Chickasaw Creek, Cherokee, and Seminole Indians all own African slaves. And Tulsa, Oklahoma is gonna be founded by Creek Indians around eighteen thirty-four. Okay. Uh I have actually a uh two and a half hour lecture that I've done dealing with the uh history of uh, Black Wall Street in Tulsa, Oklahoma, all of that. So that's available at our website. Uh, this one here Black Wall Street from Destruction to the Resurrection of Economic Empowerment. Okay. This one right, right here. We have it on DVD at our website, the African History com. History Network as well other, as other lectures there. Go for online store. All right. Why is it this moving? OK, there we go. Uh, this piece here, let's see here, where we in the uh, PowerPoint. OK, let me go back to this article quickly. This is from The New York Times. Okay, um, in the treaty signed after the Civil War, which is 1861, 1865, uh, they won freedom. These Africans who were slaves of these, uh, what are known as the five civilized tribes of Native Americans, they won freedom and were promised tribal citizenship and, and an equal stake in the tribes, lands, and fortunes. But what followed were broken promises, exclusions, and painful fights over whether tens of thousands of descendants, uh, should now be recognized as tribal members. Some of the descendants have won lawsuits seeking inclusion in the Cherokee Nation. Some gained, some gained nominal citizenship as Seminoles, Seminole Indians, Black Seminoles, but said they could not access tribal services. Others, like Ron Graham, have nothing. But now a landmark Supreme Court decision for tribal sovereignty has breathed new life into their fight. In July, 2020, the Supreme Court recognized a huge portion of Eastern Oklahoma as reservation land under the terms of an 1866 treaty. These are the Black, Freedmen, Indian treaties of 1866. The same treaty also guaranteed that freed African slaves and their descendants would, quote, have and enjoy all the rights and privileges of native citizens, end quote. Okay. So read the rest of that. Uh, they estimate there's about 160,000 descendants of those formerly enslaved bodies, uh, Native American uh, nations, these five. Now I'm not saying all of the 566 federally recognized recognized tribal nations on slaves. We're, we're talking about these. These are some of the largest, what are known as the five civilized tribes of Native Americans, the Choctaw, Chickasaw Creek, Cherokee, and Seminole Indians. Um, okay, read this. And then also, now what's interesting is that uh, I've talked about this before you have, um, number one, a lot of the early African-American landowners in Tulsa, Oklahoma, got land from these Indian treaties and the Dawes allotment act of 1887. Read this article here, nine entrepreneurs who helped build Tulsa's black wall street. This is from history.com official website of the history channel. Uh, May 14th, 2021, quote, their relative uh, wealth, the, the relative wealth of some black folks in Oklahoma comes in part through their connection to the tribes, to these Native American nations and their and their land ownership, it says Hannibal B. Johnson, historian and author of Black Wall Street 100, and American city grapples with its historical racial trauma. The Dawes Allotment Act of 1887, named after Senator Henry L. Dawes of Massachusetts, authorized the government to divide tribal territories into allotments for individual Native Americans. So the majority of that land was supposed to go to Native Americans and black Indians, okay? And white people ended up getting two thirds of the land. This is where you get the, five, the term the $5 Indian from, because white people find out about this land uh, giveaway and you had to anglicize your name um, to, uh, to get added to the Dawes Rolls, which is like a sentence, okay? So I'd to have their names added to the Dawes Rolls so they can get also. And they ended up, it's, it's 138 million acres of land. White people got two thirds of this land. Okay, so the Dawes Act 1887 authorized the government to divide. Tribal territories into allotments for individual um, for individual Native Americans, which included uh, black members. As a as word spread that Indian Territory was uh, a safe place for African Americans to settle between 1865 and 1920, more than 50 black townships were founded in Oklahoma, including in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Okay. Uh, so read this article here from Hannibal B. Johnson. I read, um, Hannibal B. Johnson's first book on, um, Black Wall Street, which is this one right here, Black Wall Street from Riot to Renaissance in Tulsa's Historic Greenwood District. So this is one of my sources for my lecture, uh, my two and a half hour lecture, uh, dealing with the history of, um. Black Wall Street and the origins of Tulsa, Oklahoma also. And I deal with a timeline of history leading up leading up to the attack June first, nineteen twenty one as well. Okay, there was oh a uh, okay, the casual killing act of sixteen sixty nine. You can check this out. From um Equal Justice Initiative. Brian, Brian Stevenson's uh, organization. October uh, twentieth, sixteen sixty-nine, Colonial Virginia authorizes enslavers to kill rebellious slaves. Colonial Virginia authorizes enslavers, okay. All right, here we go. October 20th, 1669, Colonial Virginia authorizes enslavers to kill rebellious slaves. Uh, The Virginia Colonial Assembly, October 20th, 1669, enacted a law that removed criminal penalties for enslavers who killed enslaved people resisting authority, resisting authority. The assembly justified uh, the law on the grounds that the obstinacy of many enslaved people cannot be suppressed by other than violent means, cannot be suppressed than other by violent means. The law provided that an enslaver's killing of an enslaved person could not constitute murder because the premeditated malice element of murder could not be formed against one's own property. In subsequent years, Virginia continued to reduce legal protections for enslaved people. In 1723, the assembly removed all penalties for the killing of enslaved people during correction meaning that an enslaved person could be killed for any offense as minor as picking bad tobacco as minor as picking bad tobacco the willful willful or malicious killing of an enslaved person could constitute murder in theory but the law excused the killing of an enslaved person if the killing was any way was in any way provoked in effect enslavers could kill enslaved people with impunity in colonial era Virginia and the situation was similar in most other colonial territories following the American Revolution many states created penalties for killing enslaved people but the loophole permitting the killing of an enslaved person during correction or to prevent resistance Remained. As a result, throughout the course of slavery in uh, this country's history, enslavers were rarely punished for uh, killing enslaved people. Okay, uh, so read this here uh, Colonial Virginia authorizes enslavers to kill rebellious slaves. This is from uh, EJI.org Equal Justice uh, Initiative. Also, check out the history of the idea of race at uh, Britannica.com. They have some good information there as well. That was one of my slides that I did in my presentation at the conference this past week. That was one of my sources. The idea of the history of race from uh, Britannica.com. And from uh, a new la- okay, yeah, they deal with of um, the servitude, all of that. By the mid-17th century, mid-1600s. A wealthy few had encumbered virtually all lands, not under, uh, not under Indian control, and were attempting to work these lands using indentured servants. The working poor, as those eventually, and, and those eventually freed from servitude, had little uh, on which to survive, and their dissatisfaction with the inequities of colonial society led to riots and numerous threats of revolt. After 1619, this group of poor servants, including many uh, Africans and their descendants, some of whom had experience in Spanish and Portuguese colonies were, where slave labor was widely used. Okay, so so read this uh, also. Uh, so I don't have time to get deep into that. That was in one of the slides. Okay, now uh, very briefly here, um, king phillips war of um 1675 1676 in the colony of new england this, this is going on basically at the same time as bacon's rebellion okay and this is something that i dealt with because a panel uh dealing with uh, native americans and african americans uh at the uh, at the conference of mid, uh, the midwest building decarbonization coalition virtual 2020 equity summit took place uh, Wednesday, November 2nd through Friday, November 4th. Okay, let me go uh, to this information here dealing with... um, Right here, colonial enslavement of Native Americans included those who were surrendered. So the history of Native Americans being enslaved is not really talked about a lot. Native American slavery is a piece of history of of slavery that has been glossed over, said Len Ford D. Fisher, associate professor of history at Brown University. Um, uh, he said, uh, quote, between 1492 and 1880, between 2 million and 5.5 million Native Americans were enslaved in the Americas, in addition to 12.5 million African slaves. Now, it's also important to note, and, and I deal with this in the class, We, you know, we know that uh, the first Americans were Africans, documented evidence, Dr. David M. Hotel's book. Uh, there was an African presence here going back at least 51,700 years ago. Uh, those were the Khoisan who come from Southern Africa. We know African Moors were here as well. Uh, and also we know that there are gonna be groups of Africans that get, get reclassified as Native Americans where European settlers come here also. Uh, Captain John Smith, Uh, Page 66, 65, 66 of of this book, he talks about how Captain John Smith said he was captured by uh, a group of black Indians in uh, 1607 in uh, Virginia. So you you had this African presence here as well. And and some of those Africans get reclassified as Native American by European settlers. Now, while natives had been forced into slavery and servitude as early as 1636, It was not until King Philip's war that natives were enslaved in large numbers. Associate Professor Linford Fisher uh, wrote in the study, Uh, the 1675-1676 war, uh, King Philip's war, pitted Native American leader King Philip, also known as Metacom, M-E-T-A-M-E-T-A-C-O-M, and his allies against the English colonial settlers. This is in the colony of New England. During the war, New England colonies routinely shipped Native Americans as slaves to uh, Barbados, uh, which we, you know was a British colony, Barbados, Bermuda, Jamaica. Uh, and Jamaica starts out as a Spanish colony in 1494, conquered by Columbus, but then becomes a British colony. Barbados, Bermuda, Jamaica, the Azores, Spain, and Tangier in North Africa, uh, Associate Professor of History Lynn Ford uh, Fisher said. While Africans who were enslaved did not know where they would be taken, Native Americans understood that they could be sent to Caribbean plantations and face extremely harsh treatment far from their homes and communities, according to the study. Fear of this fate spurred some Native Americans to pledge to fight to the death, while others surrendered, hoping to avoid being sent overseas Uh, the study found. Now, Professor Linford Fisher's study uh, entitled, Why Shall We uh, Have Peace to Be Made Slaves, Indian Surrenderers During and After King Philip's War. This study appears in the journal Ethnohistory, uh, a volume devoted to scholarship on indigenous slavery in the New World. Native American enslavement was documented in colonial correspondence, shipping records, court cases, town records, colonial government orders, and petitions uh, from colonists to the British government. Uh, So this is at brown.edu. This article is from uh, February 15th, 2017. Colonial enslavement of Native Americans included those who surrendered to. So at the same time of King Philip's war, the King Philip's war was raging in the colony of New England, you had Bacon's rebellion in the colony of Virginia that uh, I already talked about. All right, so hopefully uh, you learned a lot from uh, this broadcast, this history lesson. This is some of the information that I presented at the environmental conference. Um, uh, this past week, and I did not get a chance to because there were so many people on the panel. They were short on time. The the session uh, was only like an hour, hour and fifteen minutes. I didn't get a chance to get deep into this information like I was able to get uh, into it today. Okay, uh, be sure if you like this type of information, give us a thumbs up, give us a heart, give us a like on this broadcast. Be sure to register for uh, my online history classes. Okay. Uh, this helps support the African History Network. This helps finance the research, helps us uh, uh, stay on the air, keep broadcasting, pay some of the bills, helps when I have to pay the troll, because uh, uh, Tuesday, November 8th, I'll be one of the uh, political commentators for Roland Martin Unfiltered for their uh, six-hour broadcast, election day uh, broadcast. It's uh, 7 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. OK, we'll have information on our website also, the African Network.com. Or Visit our website, the African History Network.com, and uh, you can register for the online history classes I teach. So this week, uh, because I'll be out of town this week, uh, we'll have a class on Monday. We we'll have class on thir- for Monday and Thursday. Thursday is going to be Ancient Kemet, the Moors and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, where they didn't teach you in school. We deal with thousands of years of history. And what leads up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. Some of the slides I showed you, you know, uh, some of those slides are from the class also. That's gonna be 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Thursday, November 10th. Okay, we do the sessions live. All the sessions are archived and recorded. You can watch them on demand anytime. The class is on sale $80, regular $130. Click right here, register here to uh, register for the class. And then, uh, and that's gonna be a 10 week class. We may do 11 weeks. And the the class I teach on uh, this this week, this class is going to be on Monday from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. Monday, November 7th, we'll do 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Normally the classes are Tuesdays and Wednesdays, but this week, since I'm out of town, I have to change the uh, schedule. And we deal with history starting in 1800, and we go through, look at history, what leads to the Civil War taking place. Uh, Mexican-American War, 1846, 1848, Missouri Compromise, 1820. Kansas Nebraska Act 1854. Uh, Civil War, Reconstruction, Great Migration, Jim Crow era, World War One, World War II, Civil Rights Movement, Black Power Movement. Okay. Uh, so this is a fantastic class, also. And we have a bundle pack. You can register for both classes. This is the best value. You can register for both classes for $130. Uh, click right here to register here. And this bonus content that you get, so it's over $300 value. This, this bonus content you're going to get also. You can use this information with your children. I would say the content is PG-13. Okay, you can use this information with your children as well. Uh, and if you have any questions, you can email us, ahnshow at com or email us through the website as well, uh, ahnshow at Network.com. And uh, we also have the information for PayPal and Cash App uh, at our website also. So if you want to support us that way, you can also. This is our official Cash App account, dollar sign. The AHN Show, S-H-O-W, when you go to it, it, is, it it'll say Michael. Okay, these other ones here, and the five, I've identified a fake African History Network Cash App account. You click right here, it takes you to the barcode, the scan, uh, the QR code, so you can scan that also. All right, and we have uh, the link for PayPal here also. Okay, uh, we have to get out of here. Uh, be sure to follow us on our fan page, the African History Network, the African History Network, and our YouTube channel, Michael Mhotep. I-M-H-O-T-E-P. And um, listen to the African History Network show Sundays, 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on nine ten 10 a.m. Superstation WFDF um and we have the information on the homepage of our website as well and the land back movement uh th- this is something that we were talking about at the conference uh the land back back movement you may have seen um commercials for it this is from landback.org this is uh, a native american movement uh land back is a movement that has existed for generations with a long legacy uh, of organizing and sacrifice to get indigenous lands back to indigenous hands, to get indigenous lands back to indigenous hands. Uh, currently there are uh, land back uh, battles being fought all across Turtle Island, which is one of the original names for this land we call the United States of America, Turtle Island. Even in uh, the first Americans, were Africans documented evidence, he talks about turtle. The, uh, Dr. David M. Hotep talks about Turtle Island, uh, to the north and the south. Okay, currently there are land back battles being fought all across Turtle Island, to the north and the south. The uh, Indian uh, collective, uh, we are stepping into this legacy with the land with the launch of a land back campaign as a mechanism to connect, coordinate, resource, and amplify this movement and the communities uh, that are fighting for land back. The closure of Mount Rushmore, return of uh, that land and all public lands in the Black Hills, South Dakota, is our cornerstone battle from which we will build out this campaign. Not only does Mount Rushmore sit in the heart of the sacred Black Hills, But it is an international symbol of white supremacy and colonization. To truly dismantle white supremacy and systems of oppression, we have to go back to the roots, which for us is putting indigenous lands back in indigenous hands. Okay, read the rest of this here. Um, Okay, this is at landback.org. Okay, landback.org. All right, look. I have to get out of here. Remember, right now is correct. Wrong behavior is not over till we win. We're kind of forever. Be sure to register for the classes. We'll see you in class this week and uh, listen to the uh, African History Network show. Follow us on our YouTube channel, Michael Mhotep. I M H O T E P. Turn on live notifications so you know when we go live, and uh, follow us on our Facebook fan page, The African History Network. The African History Network. Turn on live notifications so you know when we go live there. Okay. Talk to you next time. Peace. HOTEP everybody. Hey, this is Michael I'm HOTEP, founder of the African History Network, host of the African History Network show. I'm a talk show host, researcher, lecturer, writer, and historian. I hope you are enjoying this uh, broadcast that you're watching right now. I wanted to take a couple of minutes and let you know about the online history courses that I teach. So if you like this broadcast that you're watching, you definitely want to register for uh, the online history classes that I teach. Uh, we normally teach the classes on... Uh, Tuesdays and Wednesdays, uh, our next class of uh, ancient Kemet, Moors and the Ma'afa, Understand the Transatlantic Slave Trade, is going to take place on Thursday, November 17th, 2022, uh, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So if we look at a uh, brief overview of the class, and the class is on sale um, the, uh, the class is on sale, $60, uh, regularly $130, okay? So we have the class uh, discounted right now. And if we look at a uh, brief overview of the class as well, I've been teaching this class uh, since 2017, okay? And I put together the, the uh, curriculum uh, for the class of the study in history uh, 30 years. And we can't start... Uh, the study of our history in slavery, even though understanding the transatlantic slave trade is very important uh, we can't start in slavery. we have to deal with thousands of years of of history that uh, lead up to the transatlantic slave trade uh, taking place. We look at the eight hundred year occupation of Europe by the African Africans known as the Moors as well to understand. What leads up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place? Okay, so uh, a brief overview of the class. We can't start studying our history uh, in slavery, uh, even when we study the transatlantic slave trade, which is important to study. We can't start in 1619 or in the or in the 1440s when the Portuguese get involved in the transatlantic slave trade. We have to understand the history chronologically, and deal with the 800-year occupation of Europe by the Africans known as the Moors who enter into the Iberian Peninsula today known as Spain and Portugal uh, today uh, who who enter into the Iberian Peninsula today known as Spain and Portugal from North Africa in 711 AD. This course not only deals with the transatlantic slave trade, but it also deals with thousands of years of history that leads up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. August 20th, uh, 2019, marked the 400th year anniversary of the 20-and-odd Africans who came into Point Comfort uh, in Virginia, August 20th, 1619, on the White Lion Pirate Ship. Um, and this would later be the uh, colony of Virginia. Okay, And when those 20-and-odd uh, Africans came in, codified slave laws did not exist in any of the 13 colonies. Codified slave laws don't come to uh, Massachusetts until 1641. They don't come to Virginia until about 1660 or 1661. Now, this year, uh, 2019, was known as the year of return, the year of return, as many African-Americans were reconnecting to Africa and traveling to Ghana and other West African countries. When we discuss the transatlantic slave trade, we have to first understand that African people are the original people of North, Central, and South America and have been in the land we call the United States of America at least fifty-one thousand seven hundred years. Okay, so we have the information on the home of our website. Uh the African History Network dot com. Uh we also uh so you can register there for it uh for the class. And we have uh a bundle pack we could where you can register for both classes at a discount. So normally uh the classes are $130 each, they're on sale right now, uh $60. So we do the sessions live, all the sessions are archived, they're recorded. You can go back and watch them anytime. And uh we're gonna do at least 10 weeks uh for these sessions. We may do eleven or twelve just to give us enough to get all the information in. So click uh re- Click right here for register here. You can use a debit card or credit card. We have the bundle pack information here as well. Uh, The bundle is on sale $100. Uh, It's regularly $130. Click right here to register here for the bundle. And then the second class that I teach uh, on Tuesdays is from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. That next class is going to be on Tuesday, November 22nd. Tuesday, November 22nd. Okay. And this class picks up where um, basically we're understanding the transatlantic slave trade leads off. This is another 10 uh, week online class. And once again, we do the sessions live. All the sessions are archived and recorded. You can go back and watch these classes a year from now, two years from now. You'll still have full access to the class. Okay. So, um, With this course here, a brief overview, uh, in the aftermath of the insurrection uh, a year ago, the January 6th, 2021 insurrection at the U.S. Capitol building, um, at the U.S. Capitol, many leading historians drew parallels between the violence that we saw that day and the reconstruction era, which was 1865 to 1877. Uh, And this was the period of political revolution directly following the uh, US Civil War which was 1861 1865 this 10-week online course will analyze US history primarily from the African American perspective beginning in 1865 with uh, the uh, 40 acres in a mule special field order number 15 and actually we, we start in 1800 with the 1800 census and we look at 1803 with the Louisiana Purchase and the Haitian Revolution and we go and look at history uh, chronologically leading up to the Civil War taking place and then uh, we do at the end of the Civil War, uh, uh, Juneteenth, June 19th, 1865, we did with special field order number 15, 40 acres and a mule, January 1865, and then we look at the Reconstruction Era. And we go through and look at history chronologically through to uh, 1968. So we'll look at the Reconstruction Era, 1865, 1877, the red summer of, um, the red summer of uh, 1919, the year after the Civil War ended. I'm just sorry, sorry the year after World War One ended in 1918. The Red Summer, where you had uh, over 25 major race riots across the country. Uh, we look at the Jim Crow era, uh, which is the, the period of time after Reconstruction ends. We go and look at the 1880s, 1890s, uh, 1900s. We look at the Jim Crow era and when the Southern states are rewriting their state constitutions to impose poll taxes and literacy tests, like uh, Mississippi State Convention of 1890. We look at World War I, the Great Migration, 1915 to 1970, six million African Americans migrate from the south up north and out west. World War II, uh, the Civil Rights Movement and the Black Power Movement. To understand uh, what happened to us after slavery ended, okay, what were laws and policies put in place to put us uh where we are today to understand where we need to go from here okay so the second class is uh from the civil war to the civil rights movement and black power 1865 to 1968 okay it's important to understand the chronology of history to get a better understanding of how we got to where we are now to understand where we need to go from here unfortunately uh uh some of this history is repeating itself okay so we have this Available at our website as well, the African History uh, com Normally, the classes are on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. You can share this information with your children. I would say the information is PG 13, it's very visual. I I do a PowerPoint presentation with book references, articles, video clips. Uh, Usually, for the book references, I'll show you the excerpts on the screen. So, uh, and we do the sessions live. All the sessions are archived and recorded. You can go back and watch it anytime. So, as soon as you register for the classes, uh, there's content that you can start watching right now. Okay, so hopefully you learn a lot in these classes. Keep watching our, uh, our broadcast. Keep watching uh, this video that you're watching. And uh, follow us on our Facebook fan page, The African History Network, The African History Network, and our YouTube channel, Michael Mhotep, Hotep, I M H O T E P and uh, uh, michael M Hotep on uh, instagram as well remember right now is correct wrong behavior it's not over till we win wakanda forever and we'll talk to you next time peace also um also listen to you can also listen to our uh radio show um you you can also listen to our radio show on sundays uh 9 p.m to 11 p.m eastern standard time the african history network show uh, we have the information right on the home page of our website right at the top. Okay, so uh, we have our social media information, social media handles, and information about the radio show. And you can click right here to listen to audio podcasts of the radio show as well. Uh, we're on Sundays, 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, the African History Network show on 9, 10 a.m. The Superstation WFDF uh, in Detroit. You can also download the iHeart Radio app and search for 9:10 a.m., uh, WFDF and listen live or the tune in radio app that you can listen live there as well. Okay. All right. Remember right now it's correct your own behavior. It's not over till we win. we are kind of forever. And, uh, thanks for watching, uh, our broadcast. Thanks for supporting us. Uh, also if you want to support the African history network, dollar sign the AHN show through cash app, Dollar sign the AHN show through cash app. Uh, and through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show, the substance, keep doing the research, stay on the air, keep broadcasting, uh, pay some of the bills. And we have our, uh, um, our cash app information and social media, uh, uh, our cash app information and PayPal information right on the page of our website also. Okay. So check that out as well. All right. Remember, right now is correct. Wrong behavior is not over till we win. Wakanda kind of forever. And we'll talk to you next time. Peace.